0: We're going to come to a time now where we will look at a passage of Scripture. Come to the Bible and look briefly at what it says, talk about what it means and why this even matters to us. We do have kids in the service, and if you didn't know, we've got some what we call pew pals, uh, small uh, parent rescue packs, if you will, uh, at the back uh, in some uh, little bags. If you want to take two minutes, okay, one minute, and run back and grab one, anyone who needs one of those. Or if any time during the service you feel you need that, it's okay. Just stand up, we're all a family here, and go and grab one of those. The passage I'm going to be uh, talking about from this morning is from the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible with you, if you could turn there, Ephesians chapter 2. If you're using this Brown Pew Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you if you want to follow along with me. It's on page eight to seven. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, if you're new to the Bible, the large numbers mark the chapter numbers, and the smaller numbers are the verse numbers. Ephesians chapter 2, big black 2, and then coming down to verse 11, the small number 11, and when you found that, would you stand together with me and we'll read our passage together. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. Therefore remember, says Paul, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants and the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in his body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is God's word. You may be seated. We pray for us once again and ask God to bless as we come to His Word now. Heavenly Father, as we come now to Your Word, the Bible, we believe that though these are ancient words, these are words written centuries ago, that because Your Spirit was the one who inspired them to be written, they are words that speak still today. This is not just some ancient document that we like to look back on and and wonder about. It speaks to us even now. You say in Your Word that when You send out Your Word, you send it out with a purpose, and that it always accomplishes that purpose. Father, I pray that you would accomplish that purpose in each one of us this morning as we read it, as we talk about it, and as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. Well, listen, if you are over five years of age in here, and I think that's most of us, and you grew up in North America, I don't know if that's all of us, there is a high likelihood that you have seen or at least watched YouTube clips of the classic Charlie Brown Christmas. Who has seen this? Put up your hand if you've seen Charlie Brown Christmas, heard of it. Okay, that's, that's a lot of us. One of the classic scenes from that cartoon is the scene when Charlie Brown is having his basically his emotional Christmas meltdown, When he doesn't understand, well, what is the meaning of Christmas? What's it all about? And his friend Linus stands up on the stage there and basically somehow just quotes verbatim like half of Luke 2, just by memory, and reminds Charlie Brown, this is what Christmas is all about. In response, it's never been clear to me how like an eight-year-old kid just has on hand large portions of Scripture you could just pull out at any time and be like, oh, let me tell you. It's amazing. But... Either way, as Linus is reminding Charlie Brown, hey, this is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That last part of the Luke 2 that he quotes is the angelic message to the shepherds, where this whole host of angels is singing, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And it's that last little part there I want us just to talk about for a few minutes this morning. This whole idea that Jesus' birth would bring about peace on earth. We've been going through a a series as a church called Isaiah's Jesus and looking each Sunday at a description that Isaiah gives of Jesus coming 700 years before it happened in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And in that passage, Isaiah says this about Jesus coming. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father... Prince of Peace. And as we come to our last Sunday now this morning, we'll talk about Jesus as this Prince of Peace, along with this whole idea of the angels coming and saying, Jesus' birth, it's bringing peace on earth, goodwill towards man And I think, I think we need to talk about that, don't we? Because I don't know about you, but when I look around the world today, see things like the conflict in Syria right now, in Aleppo, uh, uh Racial tensions tearing apart the United States right now. We see Islamic militants kidnapping doctors. Families torn apart. Listen, even within my own soul sometimes, I see anything but peace. I don't know if that's your experience as well, but it's just, I look around, I don't see it. So, it makes me, and maybe like you, it makes me want to just gather up Isaiah and Luke and a bunch of the angels, just sit them down on a couch and just say, okay, peace on earth. Really? Really, Jesus' birth was going to bring peace on earth. Okay, so is it still coming? Because I don't see it. I don't know if that's your experience as well. Another man who felt exactly like that was a man named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a famous poet. Henry had seen a lot of conflict and death in his life. He grew up during the Civil War in the United States, and he'd seen a lot of death as well. His wife had died as well as his infant child, leaving him a widowed father of six children. And when his oldest son enlisted in the army to fight under Abraham Lincoln and then was wounded so much so that he was nearly paralyzed, it was It was almost more than his father's heart could bear just to have all these things going on, and then now this, his oldest son, almost killed and nearly paralyzed. One Christmas morning, 1863, Henry was sitting there waiting for his son's recovery as he'd come out of surgery, and he heard the church bells ringing. And in response to these bells ringing out hope, Peace on earth, in the midst of everything he was seeing, he wrote a poem which has now become the words to a famous carol called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Listen to what he wrote in this poem. He says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, the old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then, from each black, accursed mouth, the cannons thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Okay, so Henry saw it pretty clearly. We see it all pretty clearly. What warrant is there to say that Jesus' coming, his birth, is going to bring peace on earth? How is he in any way this Prince of Peace? Well, as we look at our passage quickly this morning... I hope you'll see clearly that Jesus' birth did, in fact, bring peace on earth. Problem is, I think we've just simply used too narrow a definition when we talk about peace on earth that Jesus brings, and that's why we don't see it right away. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of peace fighters, men who have fought for peace throughout history, guys like Martin Luther King, uh, Nelson Mandela, Listen, uh, yes, even people like Albert Einstein have, have quoted some definition, some version of this definition of peace, much broader, deeper, deeper definition of peace. And it goes like this. They say, peace is not simply the absence of conflict. It is the presence of justice. Peace is not simply the absence of conflict. It is the presence of of justice. Okay, so you see there, we need to see clearly, they're not saying that peace isn't the absence of conflict. They're simply saying, they're wanting us to consider that true peace is more than that. True peace is, is deeper than that alone. And if you need to, a picture to understand this clearly in your mind, any of you who ever, have ever traveled anywhere with a brother or sister in a car, know clearly that when you are frustrated, maybe you hit your brother and then he hits you back like ten times as hard. And then your parents turn around and see you fighting, and they're like, hey, knock it off. Quit fighting. Now, just because you stopped fighting, you stopped hitting each other, peace has not been achieved, right? Because justice has not been met. He hit you way harder than you hit him. That's not right. So, just because the conflict has ended, peace has has not been achieved, because even though you're not hitting your brother anymore, you're thinking the whole time about how you're going to get back at him later. So you can balance out the universe of fairness. We see this same thing happening right now in history or or in our society in places like Syria or a Palestinian-Israeli conflict. When they call a ceasefire, nobody says, okay, so peace has been achieved. Let's move on now. Peace has not been achieved because they've stopped shooting at each other for a few days. And I wonder if... When it comes to this description of Jesus as bringing about peace, Jesus as the Prince of Peace, if we don't too quickly equate peace with that surfacey, just simply a ceasefire kind of definition, and that's why we miss it, that's why we don't see it, because the simple fact is Jesus' birth does bring about peace on earth. He is the Prince of Peace. Only the peace that Jesus brings when he comes is it's not that surfacey ceasefire, John Lennon, Kumbaya around the campfire kind of peace. It's about bringing about the presence of justice. That's why Jesus' birth brings peace, because it brings about justice. Now, surely the justice that Jesus brings about leads to the absence of conflict between brothers and sisters and neighbors and countries, yes. But you see, when God sent Jesus 2,000 years ago, He knew that our biggest problem wasn't our conflict between us and our neighbor. It was about bringing about peace between us and Him. He knew that was our bigger problem, actually. Let me show you what I mean. I want to show you just two things really quickly from our passage here this morning. We're going to talk about how Jesus, our Prince of Peace, brings about peace with God and peace with each other. Peace with God and peace with each other. That's it. So if you still have your Bibles open, keep them open to Ephesians 2. I'd love you to follow along with me. See if what I'm saying here makes sense. We'll dig into this together. Let's look first of all about how Jesus, our Prince of Peace, brings peace with God. How Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brings peace with God. When you look at verse 14 of our passage, remember these are the small numbers here, and you see how Paul says there that Jesus doesn't just bring about peace by his coming. He says he himself is our peace. That's strange language. What does he mean? How how can somebody be peace? That doesn't even make sense. But it should already reveal to us there's something more going on than what's on a surface level, right? The peace that Jesus is going to bring about is going to be more than you and your brother not hitting each other anymore. It's going to be something more than that. Now, Paul is talking about Jesus bringing this peace in the midst of a very real and present conflict between Jews. These were God's chosen family members through the man Abraham and the Gentiles, basically all non-Jewish peoples, often referred to as the nations. We're going to talk about how Jesus brings about peace between those two groups as well, but for the moment, we're going to look about how Jesus brings about peace between us and God. Look at verse 16 here. He says, both of us, are reconciled to God. He uses this language of reconciliation to talk about peace, and he brings it about for both sides, Jews and Gentiles. Verse 17, look here. He says, Jesus came and preached peace. Literally in the Greek it says, Jesus came and gospeled peace to those who were far away, those are the Gentile nations, as well as to those who were near, that's the Jews. The point is, Jesus came to bring about peace with God, to reconcile relationship between all people of the earth, and God, that's the reason He came. Now, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. The whole, just even talking about reconciliation at all presumes that there's a pre-existing relationship that was broken and now needs to be reconciled. You don't reconcile a relationship with somebody you've never met before. There's a pre-existing relationship that's broken and now it needs to be reconciled. And what I'm saying is that the pre-existent relationship that we used to have with God that was broken it was broken all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the world. And from that time, our relationship with God was broken so that now our, the whole way we relate to God, our whole relationship toward Him is one of hostility and conflict where we have rejected His rightful rule over us as the Lord of the universe and we put ourselves there in that place of rulership. And because God is a just judge, He can't simply overlook that treason or any sin for that matter. In order for him to be just, he needs to deal justly with that as well as to truly bring about peace. The message of the Bible and the hope of Christmas is that rather than pouring out the just punishment for that treason and for all sin after that on us, God fulfilled all the just requirements of the law by sending his only Son to serve our sentence for us. And the way he served that sentence, we see in verse 16. Look there. (coughs) Paul says, Jesus brought about this reconciliation between all of us and God through the cross. Through the cross, which means that for those of us who know the whole story, the, the beauty and the joy of the baby in the manger is always tinged with a bit of sadness and sorrow as well. As author Brandon Webb says, the important issue of Christmas is not primarily so much that Jesus came, but why He came. There was no salvation from His birth, no salvation from the sinless way He lived. There was a price to be paid for our sins and only Jesus could pay it. Paul tells us elsewhere in his letter to the Colossians, for God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. That is, Jesus and through him to reconcile all things. There's that reconciliation language. Reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Listen, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Or as Isaiah himself says so powerfully, Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So this, this, first and foremost, anyway, is the peace, the peace on earth that Jesus came to bring. That's why Paul can say in verse 14 that he himself is our peace, because Jesus didn't come to teach us about peace or to show us the way to peace. He is our peace. He is the one whose death on the cross satisfies God's just wrath against us, bringing about peace. Bringing about the presence of justice between us and God, between God and man. That is the peace on earth that Jesus brings. Remember we said that Jesus doesn't only come to bring about peace between us and God. He also brings about peace between each other. So let's look now quickly. The Prince of Peace brings about peace with each other. Peace with each other. Now, as I said, Paul is saying all this stuff about how Jesus came to bring peace between us and God in the context of this very real and present divisions and conflict between Jews and Gentiles. One of the primary things that divided them, Paul says right here, is the Jewish law, the commandments that God had set up and that they observed in obedience to him. That was one of the things that divided them. So back in Genesis, when God created a people for himself, from Abraham, he said, okay, one of the ways that you're going to mark out my people, the people who are part of my family, is by the mark of circumcision. Kids, later on today, you can ask your parents about what circumcision is. (laughs) You're welcome. Merry Christmas. This, This would show... This mark of circumcision would show that they were God's people. These were the ones who were going to inherit all the promises that God made to Abraham of making him into this great nation, giving them a land to dwell in, blessing him in all these ways. So verse 11, look here with me. Paul is talking about these divisions between the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, and the Jews, the circumcision. When we see that, when we understand more about what he's talking about there, we can see why in verse 12 he talks about these Great divisions between these two people groups. In fact, if you look at verse 14 now, he talks about this barrier, this, this dividing wall of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And do you know, many commentators say that this, this wall was not just simply a, a, a metaphorical wall, a, a societal boundary. This was actually a literal stone wall that was built around the temple in Jerusalem where the Jews worshipped, there was a stone wall outside of which was called the court of the Gentiles, and then everyone who came inside, this was the court of Israel, you had the court of the women, the court of uh, the men, and then the court of the priests. And actually they've discovered plaques now from this wall written in, in Greek and Latin, which basically say on this wall, this dividing wall, if you're not a Jew and you go past this wall, you're taking your life into your own hands. Blood is on your own head. That's basically what the signs say. But what Paul says here now is that in coming and dying on the cross, Jesus has also abolished that wall. He's gotten rid of that one too. There was a wall between us and God. He abolished it, and he's also abolished these this conditions of the law that used to separate these two groups. And he can do that. He can abolish these laws that keep us separate because, as he says himself in Matthew 5:17, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I've come to fill it up so that now it's complete. There doesn't have to be any division anymore between these two. Uh, Hebrews says these divisions are now obsolete. They don't, they don't count anymore because Jesus has done away with them. So we see that in his coming, Jesus brings about peace between these two groups of people who otherwise could never have, have been together, have never come together. And he does that by reconciling them both to God. And then look at verse 15. This is, I don't even fully understand as myself, by making a whole new person out of the two in himself. He takes these two opposing groups and through him makes a whole new humanity, basically, out of those two opposing sides. That's why Paul can say just, just the page back in Galatians 6, neither circumcision nor uncir- uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. He's created a whole new thing now that's done away with those two divisions. But now the problem is, is that one of the whole reasons there'd been all this conflict and hostility between Jews and Gentiles at all was that ultimately because God's people had forgotten his words to Abraham all those years ago when he had first formed them into a people. God said, Abraham, through you I will bless all nations of the world. All nations, not just my own people. I will bless all nations. Later on, Isaiah says himself of Jesus that he will come to be a light to my people Israel as well as to the Gentiles. He's coming for both. And remember when Simeon holds the baby Jesus in the temple when he's brought to be dedicated, he says to him, he is this light to the Gentiles as well as to my people Israel. That's why he came. He came for both sides. But as theologian John Stott puts it so perfectly, listen, he said, the tragedy was that Israel had forgotten her vocation, twisted her privilege into favoritism, and ended by heartily despising, even detesting the heathen as dogs, the very people they were supposed to be a light to. And I don't know where all of you are coming from this morning, but I wonder if some of this isn't your exact experience of church people as well distant, entitled, hostile, walled off, want to keep you at a, at a distance. Maybe, like some people, you'd say, yeah, you know what, Yeah, there is, there's not a whole lot of peace at all in this world, and one of the reasons for that is religion. If We could just get rid of religion. We'd have a lot less wars, we'd have a lot less conflict. And yet what we're seeing very clearly in this passage this morning is that for the people of Israel then, as well as for the church today, the problem is not actually religious faith in God. It's in the forgetting of, or really the disobedience to, the vocation given to us by God. He's given us a vocation to be a light to all peoples. What we're seeing in our passage is that in coming to earth as a baby, dying in our place, Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility that stood between us and God, as well as between each other those protective walls, those divisive walls that that we put up that would say, enter past this and you lose your life. Jesus says in his coming, no, no, no. Actually, I lost my life for you so that now you could enter into my presence freely as well as into fellowship with one another. Mm -hmm. Fellowship with your neighbor. That's why in verse 18, look here now. Paul can say, we all... Have access now. All peoples have access now to the Father by one Spirit. That access point is Jesus, the one who's brought about justice, who's brought about peace. I mean, isn't that what we sing about in that classic carol, O Holy Night? Surely He taught us to love one another. His law is love, and His gospel is what? It's peace. Change shall He break for the slave. Is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. And I've said it in here many times, but it's worth saying again. If you know Jesus as your Prince of Peace this morning, we must always remember that God has not saved us to be the bouncers outside of his kingdom, but to be greeters. Greeters standing, welcoming all those who are still far off, and he's calling to himself. Calling them to receive the very same undeserved grace that we've received ourselves. We must not forget our vocation as his people. As you think about your own life this morning, we all come from different places and walks of life. Maybe for some of you in here, just like the poet Longfellow that we talked about at the beginning. You're living under circumstances right now that make you long for peace. That seems impossible. Seems like it could never come about. Or maybe you just look around the world right now and you you see all this war, conflict, striving, and maybe you too find the angelic message given 2,000 years ago, that peace on earth, goodwill towards men to be a mocking, impossible, unkept promise. Really just wishful thinking. As he sat there listening to those Christmas bells, Longfellow felt himself, just as the lyrics say, he felt despairing. He felt without hope. Remember, he said, There is no peace on earth. Hate is too strong. It mocks this song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But then as he continued to listen, listen to what came as he continued to hear these bells. The last verse of the song declares, yet then pealed the bells more loud, more deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward man. What I'm saying this morning is that just as those bells could still be heard and rung out louder still over the roaring of wars, over the roaring of cannons, I believe that the angel chorus 2,000 years ago in a field to shepherds can still be heard today as well. Still be heard over the chaos and noise of life, the sounds of striving and conflict and inner turmoil today the angel chorus rings out louder still. God's long-awaited rescuer, God's long-awaited peacemaker, promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when the relationship with God and mankind had first been severed, had come. Glory to God in the highest. He'd come in meekness and humility as a helpless baby, made like his brothers in every way, in order to be sacrificed on their behalf, and to bring about true peace, to bring about the presence of justice between a holy God and a sinful, rebellious humanity. He is our Prince of Peace. He is the Son that was given. He is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. If you've never known what it is to know Jesus as your Prince of Peace, the one who can make peace between you and God. I pray this morning would be a time when you would ask me, ask one of us this morning after the service about how you can know Jesus as your Prince of Peace this morning, the one who can break down the wall of hostility between us and God and welcome you into his family this very day. And if you do know Jesus as your Prince of Peace this morning, Let's not forget our vocation. Let's not forget our vocation that, as we've always said, you you haven't just been saved from something, you've also been saved to something. The grace of God is not ours to hoard and protect and shield from others. It is only meant to be received and then to be shared.